0: We're back today in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. The book of Acts records the history of the first-century church, the actions, the activities of that first generation of Christians. And since chapter 13, we have followed the Apostle Paul around the known world on his three missionary journeys. And we come to chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, as we Continue this study, and as he concludes his third soul winning church planting missionary journey. We're in Acts chapter 21, not going to have an overhead today, a couple of reasons, just two primary points is all. I want you to really sit back, I'm not going to do a lot of note taking, my guess is, but I want you to muse on this particular subject today from Acts 21, verses 1 through 7. But our church theme last year was our year of integrated lives and we focused on the importance of believers being their lives being commingled not just at the church house not just during a huge ministry opportunity like judgment house but in our day-to-day lives throughout the week being involved with one another this year 2005 2006 is our year our 40th anniversary prepared to Proceed. And we're going to only move forward as a corporate body. We're only going to make a difference for for the cause of Christ as we do so together. The Lord Jesus designed his body that he would be the head and that each part would need the other parts, just like our own physical bodies. You you don't have an arm out there doing its own thing, or a leg over here, or an eye out there doing its own thing all by itself, independent of the rest of the body. No, they're very much interdependent. If the body is going to move forward, it has to do so as it was prepared to do, that is, uh, working together, and the body of Christ Is very similar to that. I cannot fulfill God's will for me corporately without you. Corporately, you can't fulfill God's will without me, without one another, our lives interrelated uh, together. We need each other. And so this morning I share from Acts 21, verses 1 through 7. A message that I've titled The Indispensable Blessing of Friendship. And of course, when we say friendship, we understand Christian communion. We understand uh, the, uh, the koinonia, the fellowship of the body of Christ. Acts chapter 21, The Indispensable Blessing of Friendship. The first thing I want us to consider is verses 1 through 3a. That is uh, the first half of verse 3. And this point being the memory of old friends from the past. If you're taking notes, verses 1 through through 3a, the memory of old friends from the past. Acts 21 in verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were parted from them and had put out to sea, we came with a straight course unto Kos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from there unto Patera. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And when we had sighted Cyprus... We left it on the left hand and sailed unto Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. The memory of old friends from the past. Not only do most... Uh, 21st century Americans live lives which are quite busy. I do. You do. I think it's safe to say that maybe we're the busiest, um, the most hustle and bustle generation uh, of all time. Not only do we live lives which are quite busy, we live lives which are quite noisy. Have you ever gotten and been in a situation, maybe maybe even in your home or in the business, maybe even at church where uh, you uh, things were, were just at such a, a, a hectic pace that you moved out of that situation and, and it quieted down and you were able to say, oh, there's peace there's rest. If it's not music, it's sirens. If it's not that, it's somebody talking to you uh, in the pew. If it's not that, it's someone preaching at you. I mean, it's just it's just all the time in our lives. And even in church, there's a lot of noise going on. And I am no exception. Maybe it's from my days of growing up when uh, I've been to over 50 different rock concerts. But uh, now when I play uh, Christian music, when I play This Hope, I play it loud. I mean, I really like it loud. My family is forever I'd uh, say, Dad, turn it down. You know, can you make it a little warmer in the car and can you make it a little less noisy in the car? Because <laughs> I want it cold temperature and I want it loud music and loud preaching. If I'm listening to a preaching tape, uh, that's just kind of how we are in society. Well, I am so aware of that, that I actually this week scheduled alone time so that I could on purpose... Be still and know that he is God. The convention was over midday Wednesday. I stayed until Friday night and uh, in a hotel room by myself, didn't know anyone locked away uh, in a hotel room, fasting and praying and studying. And then when I just was uh, completely immersed in that, I would break away for uh, 45 minutes and go work out in the fitness center in this, uh, uh, in this convention center, and then come back and give myself to that. Didn't speak to anybody, maybe watched a total of five minutes. Other than the time I was working out, I would watch, uh, I'd watch, Fox News or something like that while I'm on the treadmill. Um, Other than that, didn't watch any TV, didn't talk with anybody, uh, stayed off the phone, stayed off the TV, and just was quiet before God. This past week has been very important to me as I spent that much time alone, much, much more than I normally do, do. And all that time of praying and fasting and time for reflection, I scheduled large quantities of time Without interruption. And when I say large quantities of time, in my normal life, that would be a couple of hours. In this case, it was two, two and a half days almost entirely of not being distracted as I was able to study the Word of God, spend time musing and basking in the presence of God, being convicted, being comforted, being encouraged, being instructed, and my heart being filled with His presence. I reflected in three areas about the memory of old friends from the past. I reflected for the 27 and a half years of marriage that I've had with Pam and how my heart filled with gratefulness to God and how it humbled me and warmed me as I reflected on Pam and I being completely Committed to one another and faithful what to one another, utterly faithful to one another for 27 and a half years, our entire married life. And folks, I only boast in Christ on that, but how blessed I am by that. That was a good time of reflection, a great time of praising the Lord, how my heart swelled with gratefulness that I have not warranted or deserved or merited such blessing. And I don't take that for granted And I don't boast in me on that, but boast in God. I also reflected prayerfully in in fasting and prayer for the four children that God has given Pam and I. And now all back living with us again. You get half the nest empty and they cut. You, you, you senior saint. you were right. (laughs) They fly back. They fly the coop and they fly right back. It seems like I didn't believe you. I do now. (laughs) And so for the first time in uh, nearly four years, all four of our children are living together with us. And I was humbled um, by God blessing me with them and uh, and have been driven to a a sense of dependent prayer and uh, entered into that uh, as uh, and continue to as they are entering adulthood now. I recognize each of them. I, I, I'm rational enough to know that each of them are going to face and, and do face a plethora of trials, of temptations, of, of, of questions, of decisions that they'll make, which will determine their lives, maybe for the rest of their lives, the course of their lives. And yet, I'm cautiously optimistic. Cautiously, because I know that for any of us, one foolish choice in a weak moment can wreck our lives. It really can It can be. One foolish, unguarded choice could ruin uh, what could be uh, the, rest of, uh, the blessing of the rest of my life. And I recognize that. And I recognize that could be the case for any one of them. And so I'm cautious as I uh, watch them. But I'm also optimistic because I know that they've received theological and spiritual and emotional training. And they have those resources in order to follow God's path. And so I've spent much time prayerfully fasting and and pouring my heart out to God for them. Thirdly, as I was driven to a memory of old friends from the past, I focused on our BBC. I reflected prayerfully Uh, About you all, how we just concluded our 40th anniversary celebration and how I have been so blessed for 25 years to be deeply uh, involved in the life um, of this church. Uh, Just as fresh uh, young uh, um, uh, adults uh, not long married in 1980, Pam and I right out of active duty in the Navy, we landed here in Kansas City, started into college and how uh, everything was fresh and new and alive and exciting and and, uh, lots and lots of friends and how uh, God took me from there and called me to preach and I went to pastor in Sedalia and then came back uh, 19 years ago, folks. It's been, can you imagine it? Um, well, yeah, you, you know, you've watched uh, each one of the hares leave over these last 19 years. And how being on staff for these 19 years, how good God has been to me in that. And reflecting with a full heart, a, an exploding heart with gratefulness to God of memories of old friends from the past And how important that is and how God burdened me to pray and fast for currently sinning Red Bridgers. And those who are not sinning, but maybe sinned against. So hurting Red Bridgers and how that consumed much of my thinking. That's what the Apostle Paul is experiencing in these first three verses. You say, oh, I don't see it there. Well, look in verse one. Look in verse one in chapter 21. And it came to pass that after we were parted or... After we were gotten from them or as we were leaving, it's phrased in any number of ways. And it's a very interesting play on words. You see, the Spirit of God had Luke record this very same phrasing in the Greek in chapter 20. Just a few verses earlier, look in chapter 20 and in verse 30. Chapter 20 and verse 30, it says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, and here's the, the same phrase, to draw away disciples after them. Now, there's a negative uh, uh, example of being uh, this same idea in in uh, verse twenty or in chapter 21 and verse 1. It's more of a positive. And what it means is this idea of drawing away or having gotten from from them literally means a ripping, a tearing, a tugging, Um, and it has to do with, for the most part, person to person. Uh, Back in chapter 20, there were those who were going to arise up and they were going to tear away disciples away from the true faith and tear them away to follow um, their false belief. Here in chapter 21 and verse 1, it was the Apostle Paul and his entourage were, as it were, having to rip themselves, were having to dislodge from the Ephesian elders because they so uh, were, were just so loved them and so given to them and they were so committed to one another. The Ephesians were emotionally, uh, spiritually, relationally uh, glued to Paul and to the rest of those in, the, in his traveling group. And so they had to tear away from them. And as Paul sailed away, no doubt, his heart was aching and breaking. His heart was filled with. With precious memories of those friends at Ephesus from the past where he had planted that church, where he had invested three years of his life training them. And he knew he had already said earlier, I'm not going to see you anymore. I know that on this side of glory, I'll never see you again. And so it was all that he could do to extricate himself from their grip, as it were, because they did not want him to leave the memory Of old friends from the past. Why was Paul so committed, though, to leave this group of beloved friends, these fellow soldiers of Christ? Why was he saying, I'm leaving you. I am not going to see you again. Here I go. I can't come back. You must release me. Why would he be so committed to do that? Because he and his party were carrying a large love offering in cash, very likely, in some kind of currency, He was carrying that back to the saints at the mother church in Jerusalem. And so the memory of old friends from the past in Jerusalem was driving him, was compelling him to leave Ephesus and his Ephesian friends and go back to Jerusalem to bring this offering. His heart was gripped. It was ready to, it was large for the Jerusalem church. It was ready to burst with gratefulness to God and love for them and a, and a drive to go back and be with them. Memories of old friends from the past. Ethic convention this week, I don't know if it was Monday night or Tuesday night, I can't remember, but it was very late. I saw some guys hobnobbing, powwowing, and I wanted to get in on the action. This was before I had my downtime with with God, quiet time. It was earlier in the week. And I came across a man that, if I called his name, everyone in Missouri Baptist life and leadership would know the name. And many of you would know his name. A very well-known man from Kansas City and a very well-known man in Baptist circles in the state. And I guess he just wanted to pour his heart out. I don't know. I really wasn't pumping him with questions. But for nearly two hours, he shared with me details about the profound ill health of a sister church, his church, about all the sin, the discord. And I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded. I knew that there was stuff going on. But to the degree, the depth and the breadth of all of the problem and all of the discord and the the. Us against them and the polarization and forming up allegiances and and who is going to fight whom and that kind of a thing. My heart was heavy and I was I, I just I was I was entering into the confusion of the moment in my heart. And I said to him, why are you staying with so much sin that is not going to be repented of apparently? It doesn't look like it's going to be. And discord and openly saying this is how it is. And that's the way it's going to be. Why are you saying that? I was asking that in a, in a genuine sense. and I was also asking it pastorally. And he said to me. When you are committed to 20 years of friendships. That brings comfort and courage that you don't have in your own self. It lifts you. It, it allows you, it, it carries you the comfort and the courage to persevere. Because of memories of old friends from the past says, I can stay on. I need you and you need me. Well, the Apostle Paul here, he was on a small ship that was hugging the coastline. And it says here in verse one. They came to Rhodes and then they came to Patera. Certainly he had seen the Colossus of Rhodes, that lighthouse, which was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And certainly his heart must have been drawn to uh, the words of the Lord Jesus being the light of the world and Jesus being the lighthouse. And all oh, that that men would see him as the light as he saw one of the wonders of the world there at, uh, at Rhodes and Paul then got on a seaworthy vessel because he wanted to complete that trip back home. He didn't want to waste time going in and out of the ports. He wanted to make a straight beeline across the sea and head right over to Palestine. As they traveled, Paul, no doubt, would have remembered his first missionary journey to Cyprus. Notice in verse three. And when he had sighted Cyprus and Cyprus was the hometown of Barnabas, and you'll remember this island had a very large Jewish population and no doubt Paul reflected on his experiences with the believers who were one uh, to the Lord. And, uh, and uh, during uh, his, uh, his first missionary trip there in Acts chapter 13, how uh, John Mark said, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to I'm going to go home. I can't handle this. And Barnabas said, no, he must. Uh, the next trip, he must go with us. And Paul said, no. And how there was an estrangement in the relationship with Barnabas, his best friend, Cyprus being the hometown, maybe Barnabas was even there and Paul is sailing by and Cyprus, the island, is right there on the left. And how Paul's heartstrings are are certainly wanting to go and and he's wanting to uh, make things right with Barnabas there on Cyprus and see all of his old friends, the memory of friends from the past, tugging him at Cyprus. Yet his vision and the spirit of God compelling him to go to Jerusalem because those old friends need him most. (coughs) The memory of old friends from the past. When you have them. Let that be a motivating thrust. When you're praying and fasting. To take your attention off of food. And to pray for those. Brethren. You know I've been asked. I've even been asked recently. That when you're fasting. Aren't you just always thinking about food? Isn't it just kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, someone, uh, to use a negative example, somebody uh, uh, who's addicted to, uh, to cigarettes, to nicotine, and just can't break it. And, uh, you know, all the time just drawn to want to pick up that cigarette and light it and all kinds of other little things trigger that desire. That person who is addicted to nicotine is not going to have any victory if he or she takes that cigarette and says, I'm not going to smoke you. You can't have your way with me. I'm not going to give in to you. If the nicotine becomes the focus, you've lost because there isn't any power in the nicotine. There isn't any power that the cigarette can deliver to your soul to break the habit. You follow what I'm saying? And so you don't turn your attention to what is drawing you away from the Lord. But you turn your att- You let that trigger direct you to cry out to God. And so as the craving hits you, you say, I'm turning from that and turning to the one who can deliver me from any temptation and any difficulty. Well, when fasting, when that hunger pang hits you, when, uh, when uh, you uh, uh, walk past that cafeteria and uh, the, the, the aroma is wafting your way of the barbecued ribs, let that signal trigger you. To cry out to God on behalf of friends from the past. That's exactly what I did this week. And it was, folks, when I'm giving this, this is pastoral counsel. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't glorying. This isn't gloating. This isn't bragging. This is saying this is how you walk in a prayerful fast. This is the way to actually uh, see God come into your heart with power and presence in a profound way. And so when that hunger hits you and when the stomach growls and when you're just feel like you're drawn to want to break that fast that you believe God has led you to make, let that trigger immediately draw your heart. Just determine ahead of time, as soon as it hits, I'm praying for this marriage situation. As soon as it hits, I'm praying for this lost soul. And let that draw you to a precious memory of someone in your past. That's the first point. The memory of old friends from the past. The second half of our text, verse 3b through 7. The making of new friends in the present. The making of new friends in the present. Remember, it's the indispensable blessing of friendship, it says in the end of verse three, they sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, and for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem? And when he had accompanied, uh, when he accomplished those days, he departed and went. Uh, we depart. I'm sorry, and went our way, and they uh, all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another and took ship and they returned and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to and. I'll admit, I'm struggling with the pronunciation. I think it's Ptolemais, And greeted the brethren and abode with them one day. The making of new friends in the present. As a follower of Christ, can you identify with this? This has happened to to Pam and me. I don't even, more times than I can ever remember. But having first met a believer for the first time, that is another believer, a a fellow Christian, you can immediately... um, uh, just engage, be engaged. Uh, your 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 spirits just mesh. Your spirits bear witness, as it were, with one another. You fall in love with that person. Has that ever happened to you? It just uh, there's an immediate identification with that person because of your identity in Christ. You might be as different as night and day in every in every other arena of life. Uh, I uh, I I can identify with that with um. um the brother in uh, in Haiti, uh, Jesse. I'm losing his name. Uh, the the teacher, Claybear. Thank you, Claybear, Pastor Claybear. Um, just, I mean, we didn't know one another from anywhere, but just instantly meeting one another, there was such a uh, a union of spirit. Brother Steve, you uh, identify with that with him? Uh, the same kind of thing. Uh, the making of new friends. In the present, it happened to me at the Missouri Baptist Convention this week. Meeting um, new pastors, some of whom I'd known their names, others I'd never heard of before, and immediately a new friendship had begun, which will continue to develop, I'm sure. Well, that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. Look in verse four. In verse four, it says, "And finding new disciples." The beginning of verse four, really, it's as Paul was looking up uh, the new the uh, the disciples. He didn't know these po- folks. He had never been here. He had never been to Tyre before. And now he has landed there. They're unloading all the cargo. They're going to be doing that for days. He's going to be there for a number of days. And he is looking up. He is seeking out new friends um, with whom he can fellowship. Now, you remember, Paul actually had not been here, although he was indirectly responsible For founding this church. The church in this city was almost certainly planted because of the persecution of Stephen. You'll remember the persecution of Stephen. How that Stephen was stoned to death after he preached a strong message in Acts chapter 7. And it says that the Apostle Paul then called Saul of Tarsus. uh, He was there and he was cheering on those who were killing Stephen. Well, because of that, the believers scattered and some of them landed at Tyre and the church was founded, so Paul met these brothers and sisters uh, for the first time and stayed with them seven days. Imagine how awestruck they must have been! Imagine the double take they did when they first met one another and the providence of God. How uh, the the Spirit of God had baptized the church into one body on the day of. Pentecost. The persecution came and the deacon, uh, the, uh, the friction came and the deacons were chosen there in Acts chapter six. Stephen was one of those deacons. And then Stephen preached and then he was stoned to death in Acts chapter seven. And then the uh, Saul of Tarsus was saved in Acts chapter nine and became Paul the apostle. And now uh, because of the persecution, that church was started in Tyre. Paul had never been there. And now he lands there on his, the end of his third missionary journey and he meets the flock who were established because of his initial blasphemy and evil. Isn't God amazing at doing stuff like that? That is dumbfounding to me. They, they just had to have simply been, their, their jaws had to have been on the ground amazed at the goodness of God and how their paths were able to meet. The making of new friends In the present, that is right now. This morning, during our testimony time at the breakfast, uh, someone shared, and many people identified with this, that as we're working together in the various aspects of a judgment house, it's not age-related necessarily. In other words, you might be in a scene with a 10-year-old, a 30-year-old, and a a 60-year-old all working together um, to accomplish the same goal. That's what the Apostle Paul is experiencing. Notice in verse 6. Men, husbands, fathers, look in verse six. And when we had taken our leave, one another, we uh, took ship and they returned home again. Actually, it's in um, it's in verse five. It's in the verse five that they brought us on our way with wives and children. God's men in the church at Tyre made sure their wives and their children personally sat under the ministry Of the Apostle Paul. And so, men, I counsel you to intentionally put your family in the path of what God is doing. Intentionally make sure that uh, there is an opportunity or you take advantage of the opportunities when uh, when uh, God is blowing something your way. When there is a ministry that is that is uh, going and you know that the hand of God is on it. Make Sure to get your family right in the middle of that. I've always sought to do that. I've looked for opportunities for my wife, for my children to be involved in youth camps and in in mission trips and going to a Christian concert or or, um, maybe uh, rubbing shoulders with other uh, heroes of the faith. I've gone out of my way to to seek to have my family um, ministered to by Bill Gothard, by Jimmy Draper, by Woodrow Kroll, by uh, Olympian and Congressman Jim Ryan, some of the heroes of the faith who have a, a tested and proven track record of knowing what it means to follow God. That's what these men did. It was the men who gathered with the Apostle Paul. It was the the men from Tyre and the elders of the church. But they made sure that during those seven days, the wives and the children were right there receiving from this Apostle. That's a good lesson for all of us. Well, as would be expected, the send-off Uh, Wasn't as noteworthy uh, from Tyre, or wasn't noteworthy from uh, Ptolemais, look in verse 7, as it was from Tyre. And when we had finished our course, we came to Ptolemais and greeted the brethren and abode with them one day. That's all that's said. In both places, Paul gave himself to making new friends, but in Tyre he stayed for seven days. He lived in the homes of the believers, he ate at their tables, he taught in their meeting place. In other words, there was a deep bond that took place in seven days that wasn't able to be equaled in one day. What does that tell us? The indispensable blessing of friendship is what it says. It says that they pour their lives into one another, even just for only a week. Still, it was much, much more pronounced than what they were able to do in one day. Do you have a deep and lasting relationship with other Red Bridgers? I'm asking that a bit rhetorically. But maybe, maybe literally, for some, are you involved with your brothers and sisters in Christ outside of the church house, outside during the week? Are you involved with one another? Are you speaking to one another, praying for one another, calling when they're visiting with one another? If not, why not? And I want to, I want to call you to take the initiative and invite someone over, invite someone out for friendship. Paul's love for the church at Tyre and Ptolemais wasn't less. Simply because he hadn't founded these churches, it became very rich by virtue of spending time together. I want to do something I don't think I've ever done before. Don't mean to embarrass anyone. But you who have been at Redbridge for a brief period of time, I don't mean weeks, but you have been here at Redbridge for, let's say, three or four years or less, somewhere in there. I, that for me, having been here for 25 years, that's relatively new. You're not part of the old guard, as might be uh, called. You're not uh, uh, you know, part of the, the group from the the early 80s or, or even uh, maybe you've come just in the 21st century. Let's just say that you've come in, in the 21st century to Redbridge and you've become involved. Raise your hand if you wouldn't hold your hand up. If you are like that, keep your hand up. If you, that would mean you are relatively, maybe you've been here a couple of years. Stand up if you would. Stand up. If you are like that, I want you to stand up for a moment. Long term Red Bridges, and I'm putting myself, my wife, my family in this category. Look around at these folks. And there are many others who are not right here in this particular congregation. Identify one of these folks. If the, if the Lord would direct you and say, Really say in your heart first, I want to enjoy Christian fellowship with this one or with that family or with that one, just like pastor suggested. So can we get together soon? And when you get together, notice what it says. Remain standing. Notice what it says in verse in um, in verse five. At the end, we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Let it be a time where, yeah, you come together and you share a meal or, or, a, or a dessert or something like that. But let it be also a time where you share salvation testimonies or maybe you plan a ministry project or you uh, discover a particular need. Look around. This, these folks are somewhat new to Redbridge um, and maybe have not. Some of them have hooked on. But maybe there's one in here or two or a few who have not yet. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for that. And say, I have the precious memory of old friends from the past. Paul had that. He had that with the Ephesians. He had that with the Jerusalem church. But he developed and he made new friends in the present at Tyre and at Ptolemus. My wife Pam is a wonderful example of hospitality, especially when it comes to internationals, especially when it comes to those who take an effort to get to know and to be involved and follow that example and give yourself to the indispensable blessing of friendship. Not a lot of meat in this text. It was way too much to cover because the next text has a lot of meat. But I wanted to just land as a refresher, just as a A little bit of a pep talk, a little bit of a a word to say this was not a side issue for Paul. He sought them out. They stayed together. The men brought their wives and children. They came down to the, the beach to see them off. They clung to one another. The indispensable blessing of friendship. To have friends, Proverbs says you must what? Show yourself friendly. How do you do that? You say, "Hi, guys." I'd sure like to be your Christian brother, your Christian sister, and I'd sure like for our lives to be like that. Can we play? And you take the initiative to put it together, to get get it started. Someone has to take that initiative. Might as well be you. Maybe even with someone who's relatively new here. God bless you as you do. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. What a...